Listener Production. The first time I heard George Ezra's music, it sounded like this. I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun, feeling like a someone. That is my then four-year-old son and his dad practising for the Kinder concert. They were performing Ezra's happy earworm of a single, Shotgun. They did a beautiful job, those kids, and a week later, I was still singing that song. Shotgun is, incidentally, about time Ezra spent in Australia. He sings about being south of the equator, being at the beach, drinking lager, and life in the yellow and green. But it's not his only song about another country. His travels make up a huge part of his music. So what happens when your art is inspired by the world around you and that world suddenly becomes very, very small? Where does the magic come from during a pandemic? My name's Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next is Bron, who will have The Weekend List, where we recommend what to do, watch, see, eat and listen to this weekend. But first, here's my conversation with George Ezra. George Ezra, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. It is such a thrill to have you. Thank you for having me. How are you? I am good, but I hear you haven't been so good. You've, you've had chicken pox. I had chicken pox at the age of 28 years old. So I was supposed to be going to Holland on Tuesday, which was like our first overseas like promotion opportunity since the pandemic started. You know when in yourself you know something's up? Yeah. Like at like 9pm, I was like, I don't... I'm sure I don't feel great. And then sure enough, like that night, it was the shivers and I was wearing a full hoodie and tracksuit in my bed. Like, <laughs> Yeah, within two days, I woke up and I had all these blemishes on me. And I was instantly, I thought, I bet this is chicken pox. And within a few hours, it had multiplied. And by the end of the day, I was just covered. And got the doctor. The doctor was like, yeah, you've got chicken pox. And they, the doctor, when I was talking to her, she kind of said like, yeah, you've got chicken pox. And you could tell in hindsight, the tone of her voice, she was kind of saying, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, because chicken pox is serious when you're older. Like it's not a, not so much a big deal for little kids, right? But it's intense. So I'm glad you're doing okay. I'm glad you've gotten well enough to chat to me. Yeah, mad turn of events. And what's even, the sadder thing is starting on Sunday, we were supposed to play our first shows in the UK since oh. the pandemic. So I've managed to dodge like the most fashionable virus of my lifetime for two years <laughs> when nothing's going on. And then the week that I'm supposed to be gigging, I've got chicken pox. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> this isn't the chicken pox podcast, but yes, I'm good. Yes, thank you. Now, look, George, in an almost stalker-like way, I have consumed a lot of content about you in the past few days. And in one interview I watched, you said that you struggled to be creative at home. And that was something you said before the pandemic. And so I'm really interested to know what's that meant for you during two years when we've all pretty much been staying inside? I think that is a really good thing to have called me out on because I'd like, I remember saying that regularly. I used to say, and it's like kind of how I understood myself. And I think that's one of the things during the pandemic amongst other things, you know, it wasn't all revelations and development, but there was this thing where I was like, George, there's probably an awful lot about you that you tell yourself that isn't true. Like, and maybe we're all doing it. Like we kid ourselves that we're a certain thing. 
talking about creativity, I always thought of myself as someone that needed to be on adventures and I needed to be on journeys. And in the past, that makes sense because, you know, I first signed my record deal at the week I turned 19 or something. And I relied so much on the travel and the meeting people because I could pinch their stories. It's people watching and that's creative. And it said that makes sense. But then that kind of becomes a habit in some way. Or like we were talking about, it's like how you identify, but it's not necessarily true. And so when the pandemic hit, you know, my first thought was like, you're kidding me. Like, I need to be able to go out. I owe an album. I need to do that and forget even owing it. I want to do it for myself. And the result of writing while at home is that it's the most kind of reflective record I've written. And... Do you know what? I cringe whenever I hear artists say these kinds of things. I don't know how else to word it, but it's the most me I've sounded. So when I hear it, I hear myself back. And that's a really beautiful thing. It's lovely. You know, I think about the last two years and about my own experiences and my mates' experiences. And I feel like I don't have any stories, like, because we didn't really do anything, but I feel like I've got a lot of feelings. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and and I feel you know hearing you say that it's a record that feels the most you it's almost like it sounds like it's sort of you stripped bare from the stories and the doing and the experiencing and more about you alone with your thoughts is that fair I think that is fair I think also going back to what I was saying about signing when I was 19 when you love something completely whatever it is we have a tendency to give it our all. And so to wake up and find that you're able to do the thing you love every day, it's a strange thing to get your head around. And then what you realise is the thing that you love can also bring you at times discomfort and it can bring around, I don't know, experiences that you hadn't bargained for, but it's still the thing you love. I think In the past, I probably did that too much. I threw myself into it too much. And so the time of the two years, I think it just did me an awful lot of good to have the time to compute what had happened. Because if it hadn't been forced upon me, and I know a lot of people will say the same thing, I wouldn't have done it. And I would have been running through life like a bull in a china shop. Instead, I was forced to stop. How old were you when you first realised you could sing and that you loved it? Um, I think the the two things happened the other way around. I realised I loved it before I could sing. So I wasn't the best singer, but I loved doing it. I had a pact with one friend at primary school. So I don't know how old you are at primary school, like 11 years old when you leave. I don't know. But we had a pact that when we got to secondary school, he was going to learn guitar and I was going to learn drums. Right? And I don't know where that had come from. Amazing. Yeah. So then we got to school. And we'd been at this like bigger school for a week or two. And he came up to me one day and was like, I've done it. I've signed up for drum lessons. And I was like looking at him like, you backstabbing bastard. What do you mean? <laughs> it's not like me. Yeah, this is the pack. So you've just, that's not what's supposed to happen. Anyway, I started to learn bass guitar. And I remember the guy that taught me bass guitar was in bands and wrote songs, right? which I thought was it blew my mind. I hadn't considered that people were able to write songs that you would meet. And I remember kind of talking to him as if it was a members club and being like, can I write a song? And he was this amazing, enthusiastic, 
cheerleader of a dude and he was just like and I must have been 12 right and he was like absolutely you can write a song and those guys I was knocking around with like making music at that time then you know found sports and they found other hobbies whatever it was and I just doubled down on music so around kind of 13 14 15 were the years where it kind of snowballed from being something that I would do occasionally to, you know, any spare minute, you know. Here in Australia, there's been this criticism that artists have been left behind during COVID and there hasn't been the same financial support here for creatives as for people with a Mm -hmm. standard nine-to-five kind of secure job. There'd be a whole lot of young performers listening to us now who are trying to make those big decisions, right? Whether to stick with it, whether to try to make a living out of music or whether to take a more, as my father would call it, sensible path, Jamila. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? The the same thing has happened over here, right? So like the arts and the creative industries, I don't think at times have been supported in the same way Mm. as the industries that your dad would call the safer industries you know but it's hard for me to comment on that because I sit in a position at the minute in the uh, minority it's not that I've just found a way to make a living in music I have done to an extreme extent you know and and I am aware that that's a, a small number of people that's not even the luckiest thing about the position I'm in the most fortunate thing is not only do I get to do it to the level that I do but I still love it and that's a genuine thing now the saddest thing for me would be to be doing it at the level that I am but not love it so before we spoke tonight I was sat on my sofa playing my guitar getting the same amount of joy as when I was 16 sat on the sofa playing the guitar I don't know if I'm in a position to give advice but I think if I were to it would be pursue it and give it what you can without ever interfering with the love you have for it you know me talking about finding it overwhelming in the past um the touring and things I think I went into it with this kind of give it your all and I was thinking about that recently and the nature of giving something your all it means on the other side you're going to be left with nothing just by you've given it your all so instead I've now I think about it and I think well Give it your best at any one minute. Don't give it your all. Give it your best at that at that moment. It's also easy as an artist now with the way that we kind of consume art and music in particular, it feels faster than ever. And so as a young artist, I really think that would intimidate me. I think that what I didn't realise when I was younger that I wish I had is just how much power you have as the artist because we want art, we want music and we want creativity and often we're too nervous to try it ourselves. Throw yourself into it so that others can experience it. No matter how mad the idea might seem, do it. Like you've got your whole life ahead of you to do the safe job. The safe jobs are there. The safe jobs need doing just give yourself a window of time to try things out. There's a bit of an imposter syndrome sneaking in because I don't know if I'm qualified to say this, but there's something in that, I think. You've spoken about your own experience of anxiety and 
also the absence of sufficient language for all of us to actually unpack mental health effectively. Mm. Do you think we're changing? Do you think the last few years in particular have made human beings better at talking about mental health with some honesty? Yes. Like you can't, it's hard to say that. And like, there's all human beings. I would like you to comment on all of them. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's the thing because, like, I'm always aware, like, when does mental health cross a threshold into mental illness? And, like, what's the difference between those two worlds? And is there, I think, for the most part, yes. I think when it comes to everyday conversations, all I can comment on is how I see, like, my interactions with my own friends. And I'm convinced that we are more open with one another than we would have been had we been born 10, 20 years before. Certainly the rhetoric over here in the UK throughout the pandemic from journalists and politicians alike, there was a focus on mental health. Whether or not their actions match their words, I don't know. There was a time, I'm sure you will have noticed as well, it felt like you couldn't move for people in the public eye talking about mental health to the point where it was a bit like, look, I'm going to say it. There'd be times where I'd be like, can we stop? You know, and I was like, and I was, I was doing it. People were asking me about it. And yeah, I would talk as much as I was comfortable to do. But now in hindsight, I think that you need that. So when the dust settles, you know, we are maybe more used to it. And I think you make a really good point, right? That distinction between talking about mental health and talking about mental illness and perhaps we're better at the former without being better at the latter. It's a really big thing to ask of yourself to know and understand and concern with things you don't know and understand and are concerned with. I think the best thing we can do immediately is be there for the people we love. If everybody did that, it's like a knock-on effect. Now that's the pop star simplifying things massively, but there's something in that. I think if you can like be there for the people that you love, there's something in that. I've been binge watching a bunch of your videos over the last week or so. And in the Hold My Girl video, you are sort of struggling to keep your head above the water in this room that's flooding. And it's almost like at the start that you're not so fast. You're just kind of moving around and trying to stay dry. (laughs) But eventually the tide's getting too high. What's that about for you? Because that brought up so many different moments in my life for me. When writing, something that really works as a tool is whatever it is you're writing about, find a way of communicating that within like a relationship, right? Because I was talking to an artist recently that always uses relationships, even though they're conversations they're having with themselves, for instance. But it's mm-hmm. like somehow as listeners, we understand it better. Yeah. But I think Hold My Girl, it wasn't just about the relationship I was in at the time, but my relationships in general with friends, family, and that thing, again, I'd thrown myself into this thing that on the one hand meant the world to me, which was music, but as a result, I'm a home bod. I'm designed to be at home. I'm at my best when I'm able to be there at home, 
And that's like, it's not good or bad. It's just an observation, you know? Like I love an adventure as much, maybe more than some, but not as much as I love coming home. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, just give me a minute to hold my girl. It's like, just give me a minute to have my feet back home and be with the the people I need to be with. Give me a minute to hold my girl. Give me a minute to hold my girl. Crowded town, silent bed. Be a good place to rest your head. Give me a minute to hold my girl. Give me a minute to hold my girl. I want to ask you about success, which can feel uncomfortable. I think nobody feels okay talking about having had the kind of success you have, right? Success that is hard to quantify. I can throw a bunch of numbers and shiny colours at the audience, but the platinums and the golds and the number ones tend to kind of blur together after a while. What I want to know from you is that does that kind of success and the fame that comes along with it ever start to feel normal? Do you ever adjust to it? I think instead of it being normal, exactly what you're saying, the numbers, the platinums and the tickets and all of that, you just get desensitised to it. So it's in no way are you not appreciative, but it becomes, like you're saying, just blurred. Because how am I used to it? I feel really disconnected from it. I feel really disconnected from it. That even us being sat here talking now, you can tell me that people are going to, listen to this as an audience, I find it really, as someone that relies on their imagination all the time, I find it really hard to imagine that, you know? Yeah. So, but that just does me a big favour because it means that I'm here with you and that's all I need to worry about. I think also, like, the world that we live in now and, like, we mentioned it earlier, things moving so quickly, there's also a sense of it's hard to imagine things lasting you know, and we've all got used to that. And I'm not here to be the old man saying, it's bad. It's not bad. It is just what it is. But what's done me the world of good is knowing that as soon as I stop promoting an album, and this is a, is just is true, people stop recognising me. Unless I'm in real time promoting something, I very rarely get noticed. And maybe I do, people just don't care. Maybe it's that. Like, I don't know what it is, but literally I released a Christmas song, this Christmas just gone, and it was my first song in two, three years. And it had been out two days and I got stopped for pictures a few times just doing the journey I'd been doing for the last however long. And you go, oh, like it just is. And so, but what it does that's really good for me is... It's fine, George. This isn't going to haunt you forever. People, you know, and also, what are you talking about haunting you? Like, you're part of something really good. Like, you're just part of people relaxing. Like, I remember when I first started working at the pub, I was nervous. I was nervous about using the till. Unless you wanted a pint of lager, I didn't know what any alcohol was, you know, and I was just like, oh. And then I realised I must have been working there a few weeks and it just clicked and I was like, oh, like people come to the pub to relax. So you can relax. Like you can be the guy behind the bar that just says like, oh, give me a minute. I'll figure it out because no one's there flapping. Like it's, it's a, and that's maybe the best way for me to approach all of this as well. Uh, by the way, sorry, I feel like you ask a question, I go off on a million tangents. So yeah, but apologies. they're good tangents, so it's all right. I'll okay. forgive you. This one I want you to answer. 
Okay. <laughs> in June, you are playing the Queen's Jubilee. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare for that gig? But again, it's what we were just talking about. It's hard to make sense of in your head. I mean, that's wild. It is wild. It is. I mean, I don't like, how do I prepare for that? Hopefully we'll have a few more performances under our belt at that point. And I'll just trust that it's all right. It'll be all right. It'll be good fun. Your new album, Gold Rush Kid, is also set for release in June. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I can. That whole thing of me realising during lockdown how much I love what it is I get to do, the kind of thought that came immediately after that one was the fact that it's not going to last forever. It just isn't. Whether I choose it or somebody else chooses it for me, it's like at some point the way I know my career will change and just make the most of it. Like you make the most of the travel and the people you meet and just enjoy it while it's here. And so I started seeing it as a gold rush. And then I was like, well, I can be the gold rush kid. Like I can be that character. And then really quick, like once I'd kind of landed on that way of thinking, I can apply it to anything. I can apply it to interactions. It's not going to last forever. And that's true of like the good and the bad is what I realized. And so just, by the way, when I say these things, I'm not like a, I still have to remind myself. It's not like I float through every day, just like, ah, you know. (laughs) It would last forever. Yeah, but it's that. It's just enjoy it while it's here. Whatever it is, it's a gold rush. You've now spent a real chunk of your, I'm going to say formative years, right, in the public eye. Mm -hmm. I was listening to Anyone For You last night and there's a line in that that I wrote down and it says... Don't forget me the way I am, not the way I was. What were you that you aren't now? So that whole thing of like getting used to the idea of being famous or recognisable or whatever, and I can't regret the fact that this is how I reacted to it because I can't blame myself. It's a weird thing to navigate. But the way I reacted to it was I felt as if I'd lost control of something. And so then I started to try and control the minute. I I was a micromanager. I think micromanaging might be the least sexy thing in the world. If you're ever with someone that is that you're you're supposed to be a pop star. Please chill out. Yeah. And and as I said, you can't regret it because it is just naturally how I've reacted to it. And so yeah, I think there is this time. And look, that's relative to who I am. So like is remember me the way I am, not the way I was. You know, because I I think there has been Positive change in the way that I approach things, and that's uh, a good thing. When are you on your way back to Australia? Our borders are open very recently. I'm at this point where I have to be the kind of annoying artist that can't say specifically when (laughs) or if. Sorry, I should say if. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, it will happen. Of course it will happen. We need it to happen. We want it to happen. Well, in the meantime, thank you so much for being my guest today, George. And we are looking forward to June, both for the Jubilee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for putting up with my rambling. I feel like I rambled at points then. I hope people enjoy it. I enjoyed it. But thank you. 
That's it for my conversation with the amazing George Ezra. His brand new single, Anyone For You, is out now. Gold Rush Kid, his studio album, is set for release on June 10. You can pre-order that right now if you want to get your hands on it first. Don't go away because Bron is jumping in and we're going to do the weekend list. Bron, welcome. I tell you what, I have had a wild couple of weeks of traveling, but the thing about traveling is you end up spending quite a bit of time on your own in a hotel room. I've binged all there is to binge. Is there anything else for me? Well, have you seen the new Netflix show Murderville? No. It's got Will Arnett in it. It's a copy of a or a remake of a UK version of the series. It's basically like a type of Thank God You're Here style show that used to be on probably a decade ago, where there's a celebrity guest, they don't have a script, but everyone around them knows what's going on, they know the plot, and the celebrity guest just has to try and fill it in and work out at the end of the, each episode who was the murderer in this murder mystery. It's a little bit silly, it's a little bit goofy, might not be for everybody, but I'm really enjoying it. There's a few mixed reviews out there. Will Arnett's just amazing in it, and it's got some guests like Conan O'Brien. I know we both love Annie Murphy (laughs) from Schitt's Creek. And yeah, it's just a bit of fun. If we're going to crack this case, we're going to need to go deep undercover. Don't get caught. Who are you? Vinny the Champ. No, he's Vinny the Fork. (laughs) This is Eva Braunfinger from Germany. Very thick accent. Oh, I'm good at that. I love the cutting. Okay, that sounds really good. And I'm up for silly and light at the moment when the world feels pretty dark. I want to recommend Inventing Anna, which is also on Netflix. Do you know this one, Bron? Yes, I've been loving it. I binged it all in like two days. Okay, so it is based on the real life story of Anna Delvey slash Sorokin, who basically conned everyone. She's this audacious entrepreneur who told New York City's elite that she was a German heiress and using her family's so-called fortune, it was fake, there was no fortune, she convinced people to loan her money, she goes out on their super yachts and then steals them for a few days and yet she kind of emerges herself in this crazy elite world that none of us would normally have an eye line into and she manages to get away with everything. And clearly it's not good, right? Like, she is a criminal. She has done bad things. But it's really great to watch. Why are you being like this? So dramatic. Anna stole a jet! What's going on? Who are you? Anna Delvey is a masterpiece, bitches. My next one's a little bit dorky. I think we've all forgotten about crossword puzzle books. We have. I have. <laughs> We need to bring him back. Uh, it's just a bit of fun. Like, I picked one up the other day while we were down at the beach. Everyone got involved. Everyone's very competitive in our household. So it was just, yeah, I know we're all obsessed with Wordle recently. It's just analog Wordle, basically. Yeah, the original old school Wordle. We can make that cool. Hipsters will get into that stuff. Exactly. Speaking of old school things, I'm also recommending a bit of a blast from the past. I... Did a massive shop the other day. Not a grocery shop. I like went to a department store and like hung out in a mire and spent a whole lot of time in a Westfield. And I forgot the difference it makes to try on clothes before you buy them. Stick with me, stick with me, stick with me. I have spent two years of the pandemic buying everything online and getting things coming and going, oh, it's terrible material or it doesn't suit me or it doesn't fit properly or actually it looks nothing like what it did in the picture on the internet. So I want to recommend to you, everyone, that if you're feeling a bit like not quite right in your clothes and you've got some cash to spend, 
don't do it online. Get out there and do it in person and get something that actually suits you, actually fits you and will make you feel amazing. That's all we've got time for on the Weekend Briefing. Thank you to Bron for joining us and thank you to you for listening to us. If you want to do a little bit more of that listening, then you can subscribe to the Briefing Podcast in the Listener app now. While you're there, you can give us a rating and a review. You can also find us wherever else you get your podcasts. We will be back in your ears bright and early on Monday morning when Tom and the whole team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.